Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles out. Turn to 2 Peter. Remember whose child you are. Remember that phrase? Did your parents ever tell you that? Going into the store, the mall, or someplace. Remember whose child you were. What were they trying to tell you? Behave. Behave, yes. Remember the things that I have taught you. How easily we forget. How easily we forget. Things like our keys, our phones, dates of anniversary or birth dates or special things, all these types of things we tend to forget and all of us have those times in our life. To help us remember, we do things such as put post-it notes around the, around the, around the home, around the office. We have computer, computer personal assistants now like Echo and Alexa and Siri and Cortana, all of those types of things. We put alarms on our phones so they go off, we remember. And remember the old school way? You would tie a string around your forefinger. Remember that? I wondered how many would get that if I did that today. But that was to help me remember, do not forget. And there's sometimes we use slogans, especially nationally, to not forget our history and our past. You might remember these in 1836. Remember the Alamo. How about 1898? Remember the the Maine, yes, when the Spanish uh, bombed, and, uh, bombed and sunk one of our ships, the Maine, outside of Cuba, opening up the Spanish-American War. Very good. 2000, Brandon's not here at this moment. He remember this one. But remember the Titans, the football team with uh, Denzel Washington, a movie of, of old. Some of you here might remember, of course, December 7th in 1941. It's a day that will live in infamy. And then all of us here can remember 2011. 2001 with the phrase we will never forget we do these things because there's things that are worth remembering there are things in which we want to bring into our collective memory not only as ourselves but also as a group and so we ask you this question this morning what is the sum of your life and your teaching what is it <laughs> excuse me is it that you've been passing along to your children and grandchildren? What would you want your children to remember if you were no longer here? I remember just talking to people from time to time and reading about it where someone will, a parent nowadays will say, well, I'm not going to tell my children about religion, about God or about faith or any of these types of things because I want them to make up their own mind about life. To me, I have to respond, is, is there nothing of value you want to leave to your children? And so we have these generations for years now, not just this year, where we, are not, where we have been guilty of not passing on collective truth and spiritual truth and real truth to the next generation. And we wonder, why are our teens, why are our teens when they become teenagers or adults, why are they leaving the church? Well, it's not something that's just happening now. It's been going on for a very long time. Well, up to this point, Peter has pointed to the wonderful grace of salvation 
that has been given to those that God has chosen. As children of God, we have been given a new nature along with everything that you and I need to live a godly life. And in return, God has called us to add, uh, add to our faith eight qualities that will help us to be an effective, fruitful witness to be aware of God's gifts, to confirm our salvation, and to grant access to the eternal kingdom of God. And now as we continue in today's passage, we begin a new section of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, where Paul uses his authority as an apostle to urge them to remember the glorious truths that he has passed down to them throughout the years. So today we're going to read 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to take that first section, verses 12 through 15. Would you read with me silently as I read out loud? Peter writes, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you by, up by way of a reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And Father, I come this morning and asking for you to enlighten our minds and our hearts to throw away those things that may be bothering us, those things that may be weighing us down, anything that might uh, distract us from your word. We thank you for Second Peter that has been preserved for these 2,000 years for our edification, for your glory. And so, Father, as we approach this, let's not approach it as some historical book that's something that's good to read, but help us to see that it's living revelation from you, a testament to how we should live our lives even today. So give us wisdom and discernment. And, Father, may we respond to your Holy Spirit as it works within our heart to remember, to recall these things that you have taught us. And let us hold them dear. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you four observations. The first one is Peter writes the purpose of his letter. Finally, we're getting to why Peter is writing this second letter. And it's there in his first sentence. I intend always to remind you of these qualities. His goal is to remind him of the need to practice the qualities that were listed in verses 5 through 7. Looking on the monitor once again, just to remind you, as that we see that we're to add to our faith virtue. That's a way in which we look at life, a, a desire to live a good life. He says, then you need to add to that knowledge, not intellectual knowledge, though you need to do that as well, but the knowledge of the grace of our God. It's coming to understand God in a deeper way. He then says you need to add to that the quality of self-control, of self-discipline, something that we desperately need if we're going to fight sin. He goes on then to say steadfastness. That means patience and endurance. Uh, some, some scriptures will use long-suffering. We need to be people who endure, who persevere. He says to add to that godliness, that desire to live a life that is Christ-like. And then as well, brotherly affection, specifically those among the household of God. We're to love each other. And I thank you for that uh, prayer from Landon, which he emphasized the love we're to have for each other. And then the love that we're to have for others as we meet needs and care for those that are outside the house of God. 
So he says, these things I need to remind you of, and I'm going to intend to do so. The word therefore points back to the reasons why he wants to remind them of the importance of practicing these qualities. Just in summary, we saw that these qualities, to practice these qualities, to have them increasing in our life are necessary if we're going to be an effective and fruitful servant of God. He says they confirm our calling and election as a child of God. They are the proof that we belong to him. They keep us focused on the grace of God as he blesses us as stewards of his kingdom. They keep us from stumbling in our Christian walk, in fighting sin, and they guarantee access to the internal kingdom. It gives us assurance that we are children of God. As a side note, again, these are commanded. These qualities are not an option. A Christian will have these qualities and says they will be increasing over time. And so again, before we move on on these things, I pray that you would hold on to these qualities, that you would consider these qualities, evaluate your life, test and examine to see whether they are yours and whether you are increasing in them. Interestingly, Peter points out that he recognizes that they know these qualities. And he says, you're even established. This is a, a church who seems to be solid. Unlike the believers in the Corinthian church that Paul wrote of, these believers in these churches in Asia Minor seem to be solid. They're grounded in the truth. They're living out their calling as ambassadors for Christ. But like any good teacher, Peter wants to instill in them the importance of continuing to do so long after he is gone. He wants them to remember, to recall these qualities as he has taught them, please continue to practice these things well after I'm gone. See, he clearly understands the human condition to forget or to let up practicing after a period of time. We talked about that last week. There gets a sense in which you get something, you're practicing, you seem to get a handle of it, and then what happens? You tend to let up. You tend to let it go. He understands human nature's tendency to drift off course, to let our guard down, to relax, to take it easy. The temptation to give in to our former urges and desires. We get tired, it gets hard, and we stop practicing. We let one day fall and one moment fall, and eventually we're back into our old behaviors. He understands the history of his own people, the Israelites, and their record of faithfulness to God's command, only to fall into unfaithfulness and then to outright rebellion within a generation, a generation and a half. Peter shares his intention to continually share the importance of practicing these qualities in the outworking of our faith. We should never think ourselves above needing reminders or to consider that we ever need to continue to learn. Now, I know how you and I are. We hate to be reminded about things. I got it, I got it, I know, I remember, I remember. But you and I need these exhortations, even here today. We need these each and every moment. You may ask, why do I need to pursue these qualities? Why does he want to remind them of this? Why is he constantly putting this on them, even when they're established, even when they seem to be rock solid? Well, these qualities... Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection and love. These things are necessary as ambassadors of Christ. 
For you and I represent someone greater than ourselves. They are necessary to fight our sin. They are contrary to the works of the flesh. If you and I are doing these things, if we're practicing self-control, if we're enduring, if we're fighting sin, if we're loving, then we're fighting the very works of Satan and of the flesh. They are necessary to our witness, to those that are lost. Peter had already told us in his first letter that, the, that our conduct be gentle among the, among the Gentiles so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. They're contrary to the world. They will see that we live differently. They are necessary to make us like Christ. As we follow his example, we must be like Christ. And these are the qualities of Jesus they are necessary to identify us again as children of God as we look like our Father. They are necessary to bring healing to our families and our friends and our neighbors. Our families, our friends, those in our sphere of influence need us to be men and women of virtue, of knowledge of who God is. They need us to, be good, to live lives of godliness and love and brotherly affection. And they are necessary to enter into the kingdom of God, to be faithful stewards. They're necessary to have a clear conscience. And they're necessary to serve our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. We need these types of qualities in our life. So Peter finally gives us the motivation. I want to remind you of these qualities. He then goes on. The second point is he declares his right. In other words, why does Paul even uh, uh, believe that he has the right to continually to remind these people? He's not their pastor, so to speak. He's not even in the same country. He's in a different continent. As a, he's in Europe writing to those that are in Asia. Why should we listen to you, Peter? Well, we see in verse 13. He says, I think it right as long as I'm in the body. What is he doing here? As one of the original disciples of Jesus, one ordained by Jesus himself, the first one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, Peter believes that he himself is especially qualified to, as in the words of Paul, to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort with complete patience and teaching those under his care. Like Paul, he understands that there is a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. And they would wander off into the myths. He knows that those false teachers are coming. We will see them as we move to chapter 3 or chapter 2. He took seriously the warning that Christ Jesus, by his appearing in his kingdom, would judge the living and the dead. That we would all stand before him to be judged on those qualities. If they were ours and if they were increasing. And he believed it was his duty to always be sober-minded. To endure the suffering. To do the work of evangelists, fulfilling his ministry. He knew that as long as he was present in the body, but absent from the Lord, he was to continue to feed and tend the sheep as Jesus had instructed him. He would not let any opportunity to so slip, to do so, excuse me, slip from his grip. Peter's aim in writing this letter was to stir them up by way of a reminder. 
The writer of Hebrews would share this same sentiment when he wrote, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That's what you and I should be doing here this morning. Not only are we using our spiritual gifts, but we're stirring one another up to do the same thing. We're to, we're to, to stir the pot, so to speak, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes that creates a mess. But you and I are to do that even this morning. And the way that we do that is reminding us of whose child we are and what that child is to do. Now, this is uncomfortable. This is not something that we like to do. But you and I need to get to the place where we allow not only our pastors and teachers to do this, but also allow the word of God to remind us of how we should live, how we should walk, how we should interact, not only with each other, but also with the world. How do you respond when someone tries to remind you of something, especially when it's something that you know that you struggle doing. Again, his aim to stir up by reminder, to stir them into action. To stir means to arouse, to stimulate, to walk, to, or to wake thoroughly, to animate. And he uses these action verbs to compel them into action. I need to remind you while I'm here in the body. I need to arouse you. I need to awaken you thoroughly. I need to animate you. You need to begin practicing these qualities instead of threats and warnings and bribes that you and I may use with our children or at work or with our neighbors and whoever to try to get to do things that they're supposed to do. He stirs them to action by reminding them of who they are, by reminding them that they were elected by God. They were called by God. They were made alive, regenerated by God. They were justified, made right by God in his presence. They were adopted by God. He Not only that, that they were being sanctified by God. They were being set apart and continually being made like his son. They were empowered by God to live their lives and that they were protected by God. We saw all that in 1 Peter. And not only that, but one day that they would be judged by God and glorified by God, and rewarded by God. Like them, you and I need constant reminders as we face a world that is hostile to our faith. Peter recognizes that they have been facing suffering from outside the church. Remember, that was 1 Peter. But now as he comes here into the second letter, he knows that they're about to face trouble from inside the church mainly from false teachers who teach him that they do not have to pursue godliness and holiness. He knows that he will not always be around to instruct them and warn them. So he puts pen to paper to write this letter as a reminder of his teaching. We use words like remind, reminder, remember, to recall, to refresh, all words that he uses to stir them to action. Peter knows that just because that you and I are aware of what we are supposed to do, it does not mean that we actually do it. And you and I are aware of that very same thing. So he leans on his right as an apostle of Jesus Christ to remind them of their duty to pursue those qualities that we've been given into you. And I pray to memorize those qualities. Now, that is not a, an exclusive list, but it's a good reminder of the things that we're to do. Now here you and I are also 
to pass along what we've learned to others. As Paul does, you and I are to do. Please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would, please. First, or 2 Timothy chapter 2. And look in verse 1. In this passage, the Apostle Paul states that those of us that have received the gospel and the truths of Scripture are to pass it down. 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will, who will be able to teach others also. You see four instances of truth being passed down. From Christ to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to faithful men, and from faithful men to others. Just like a father and mother spends time to teach their children life skills like making their beds, cleaning their rooms, brushing their tree, teeth, and being nice to siblings. And just like teachers spend time teaching children the skills necessary to be productive citizens, learning, reading, writing, and arithmetic, we are called to pass along the skills of godly living. And you and I many times forget that's that what God has called us. I believe that is one of the things that churches, those who profess Christ, need. We need to learn the skills of godly living. That's why I read Proverbs this morning. Proverbs are filled with the skills that you and I need to live a godly life. That's why we need to disciple, to teach all to do what God has commanded in the Great Commission. We need to learn and acquire these skills. So we are called to pass along these skills of godly living to one another and to the next generation, to our children and to our grandchildren. It has been said that redundancy is the key to learning, that repetition is necessary to help cement information into the mind and into the skills of people. No parent and teacher would be successful if all they did is share information or taught a skill one time and then walked away expecting the child to understand it, to process it, and retain it. Reminders are necessary. God many times called Israel to remember, to set up memorials, so not only would people remember what God had done, but also to tell their children. Now I'm going to go to some verses. If you're good at sword drills, you can follow along with me. First, Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is speaking to Israel as they're preparing to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering. Now, this is the second generation. This is not the original one that left, um, that left uh, Egypt. Now, some of them might have been young at that time, but you may recall that during their 40 years of wandering, that anyone that was 40 years and older as they left, the, left Egypt wound up dying in the wilderness because of their sin. So he says in chapter 6, verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign, as a reminder on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Turn one more book over to Joshua chapter 4. 
Joshua, when he crosses the Jordan River into the promised land for the first time, taking those that Moses just said, and they begin to walk over there, and they cross over into Jordan on dry land, just as their parents did through the Red Sea. In Joshua chapter 4, look at verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. So pick up 12 stones. Verse 6, that this may be a sign among you, a reminder among you, when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Why are they there? What is their purpose? And verse 7, you, then you shall tell them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. We are to bring signs of remembrance, not only to ourselves, but to our children. Practice these qualities. And Peter wants them to get it. He wants to continue to remind them of that. Not only that, if you were to turn to the book of John, the gospel of John, in chapter 14, in Jesus' uh, on the night when he was betrayed, what we call the Last Supper. He writes in John chapter 14, look at verse 25. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, the disciples, while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So with this same desire, Peter writes to remind them to continue to practice these eight qualities. And I would say that you and I need that reminder each and every day. Thirdly, Peter writes with an urgency. Not only does he have an intention, a motivation, I need to remind you, but I have an urgency to do so. My urgent need as a, pa as a pastor, as an apostle. Look, he says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Peter knows that his end is near. Knowing that he is near the end of his earthly ministry, Peter's urgency is evident. What would you want to share with your loved ones and friends if you knew that your time was short? If you only had a short time, what would you tell them to remember? What would be the sum of your life and your teaching? One professor came face to face with that question when he was asked to speak at an event at a college called Last Lectures. Not the college, but the lectures. After the, accepting the invitation, he found out that he had cancer. And he only had six months to live. You might remember the story. It was pretty big time, uh, pretty big at the time. Let me read, a lot of pastor professors give talks titled, The Last Lecture. Professors are asked to consider their demise and to ruminate on what matters most to them. And while they speak, audiences can't help but mull the same question. What wisdom would we impart to the world if we knew it was our last chance? If we had to vanish tomorrow, what would we want as our legacy? 
Well, when Randy Posh, a computer science professor at Carnegie Mellon, when he was asked to give such a lecture, he didn't have to imagine it as his last since he had recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer. The lecture he gave was really, it was called Really Achieving Your Childhood Dreams. It wasn't about dying, though. It was about the importance of overcoming obstacles, of enabling the dreams of others, of seizing every moment because the time is all you have and you may find one day that you have less than you think. It was the summation of everything Randy King had come to believe. It was about living. Now, it wasn't about religion and really not about philosophy. It was almost similar. Here's the things that I've learned that'll make your life happy. Now, you and I could read that book and it is a popular book. You can find it on Amazon. You would not find scripture in it, but here we find is somebody who says, here's what I need to give. And he spent the last, and now he actually lived five months longer. He actually lived 11 months after his diagnosis. But he spent the last of his time writing that book and giving lectures and traveling around saying, here's the sum of what I believe you need to know. What would you say? If you had a letter to write, if you had a moment to give a lecture, most of us would be, ah, just not real sure. Probably right now you might have a whole bunch of things going through your mind and your head. There is something about facing our mortality that causes us to reflect on our life and the choices we made, does it not? King Solomon wrote these wise words in Ecclesiastes. You'll see him here on the monitor. He had wrote, it is better to go into the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and lay, living will lay it on the heart. He went on to say, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the hearts of fools is in the house of mirth. What he's saying is that death brings to light our mortality. It brings it to the forefront. It helps us to realize we need to use our time wisely. And here's where we find Peter in his urgency. He wanted to finish well. He wanted to make sure that he spent his time pouring into others. To remind them of those things that are truly important. Surely he had in mind the words of Jesus that are here after Jesus telling him to feed my sheep after his resurrection. In John chapter 21 on the monitor you'll see that Jesus said to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry out or carry you where you do not want to go. John adds this, that he said this to show by what kind of death that Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Church historians state that Peter was stretched out by his hands. Then he was dressed in prison garb. He was taken where no one wanted to go, to a crucifixion cross, and that he was crucified. He was said to be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified in the way that the Lord Jesus Christ had been. He had an urgency that time was near. And you and I need this type of urgency ourselves. Too often, you and I approach life as if we have all the time in the world. 
But what does that really mean? How much time do you and I actually have in this life? The psalmist writes in chapter 90, verse 10, that the years of our lives are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and they fly away. James writes in chapter 4 of his letter, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We sung that this morning. Vapor, our life is like a vapor in the wind, a flower that's quickly fading. Let me ask you, do you live the life with the urgency that Peter had? Consider now, what do you do? What, what, do, what does your life consist of? Is it of those qualities? Would your children see it? Would they be influenced? Would they be impressed? Would they want to follow your example? How about your spouse? How about other family members and those in the sphere of influence? What do you want your spouse, your children, your friends learn from you? Do not be caught into deception that you may have years to share the things of God. You may only have today. None of us are guaranteed anything but just this moment right here. And even now you may not finish it. Peter is making the most of the time that he has left to make an impact. And those he loved to remind him. To stir them to action. To choose God. To glorify him by living godly lives. Let me ask you today and let me share with you. Let me compel you. Would you make that same decision today? Would you see the urgency of giving your life over to the Savior? Would you see the urgency of serving and living for Him? Do you see the urgency that repentance is not something that could be put off? We saw that this morning in Sunday school. Or you pawn your soul to Satan? The urgency that the Bible said is appointed on a man wants to die. Then after this, the judgment. Jonathan Edwards says that our life is like on a, on a spider web with God just with there with scissors, scissors ready to snap us to fall into the pit of hell. There's an urgency to follow him today and to begin to live a life that emulates and mirrors, that lives out the working of our salvation. These qualities that are necessary so not only does he write with urgency, with the right of an apostle to stir them to action, but as we go in verse 15, he restates his desire. He does not want them to forget. He puts one more emphasis on us in verse 15. He says, so with the time that I have left, I will make every effort so that after my death, after my departure, you may be at any time able to recall these things. This letter serves as his last word and testament. A farewell address is something that we don't see very often today, but something that in biblical times and earlier history was something that many people followed. They would know death is coming and they would write a farewell address and testimony. It's the last word and testament of one who is dying and wants to pass along their teaching. Scripture records the testament of Jacob, of Moses, and of Jesus, and of Paul. 
If you were to go back and look at Joshua chapter 24, you would see Joshua's last testament. Listen to what he says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. He says, now therefore fear the Lord. He's near the end of his days. He says, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the lands who you dwell. Or, but, for his, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would that be similar to what you would say? Choose now. Choose to serve the idols, the demonic forces behind them, or serve God. Serve yourself by following the passions of your former ignorance or follow God. The same question comes to you and I today. Peter, like Joshua, wants them to make a choice. He was probably around 65 years of age. This letter was written around 64 to 68 AD. So we're talking about 31 to 35 years after Jesus' ministry. And he wants them to finish well, just as he wants to finish well. So he purposes in his heart to make every effort to feed and tend the sheep. So as you and I read this passage of scripture, 12 through 15 many times can come through and we just read it very quickly. It's almost like a transitional paragraph as he gets into some bigger stuff, which he's going to. But I want us to pause and to consider what Peter is doing here. It's near the end of his life. He has an urgency. He recognizes as an apostle of Christ that his job was to feed and tend the sheep. And his last words and his last desires and intentions are very important. It marks what he feels is the culmination of his life ministry. Practice these qualities. Increase in these qualities. Do not forget. Remember what I've taught you. For you'll be facing opposition. Not just from outside, but from inside the church. And I would share with you today, that's still the same today. The opposition that you and I have is not from the hostility of those, or from those who are hostile to our faith. And there is that. But the biggest thing is those who are professing to be Christ. Who believe that they are Christians, but yet their message, their ministry and their lives are not marked by the gospel. You and I need to recognize this. And the only way that we'll do that, the only way that we can protect this small assembly from falling to that is to remember the words of Peter who come from the Holy Spirit. Today, you and I must take to heart Peter's words to those elect exiles in Asia Minor. For those words are meant for us as well. They are written for our benefit, for our good, and for the glory of God. You and I are to add to our faith, to live out our salvation, to pursue holiness. You and I cannot afford to confess Christ and then slide through life in disobedience to God's word. You and I must be alert. We must be awakened.
Again, let us make every effort to add to our faith. Let us be diligent in pursuing holiness, trusting in the person and the promises of God. God wants you to understand that if you do not know Christ, then you are hell-bound. You are hopeless and awaiting judgment that will condemn you forever. And I would share with you, please accept his salvation today. Do not walk away. Remember the words of Christ. Remember the gospel that is preached to you. God wants you to believe that in his mercy and grace that he has sent his son, Jesus, to be our substitute for the penalty of our sin. Jesus lived a life of perfection, fulfilling all that God required, and he has satisfied the wrath of God against us. This is God's wonderful gift for us. And God wants you to desire, my friend, his beauty, his forgiveness, and his righteousness and truth above all else. Again, we saw it in Proverbs. We desire these things more than you. More, I mean, we desire uh, you beyond these precious jewels and gold and silver. He has not only sent his son to secure our redemption, but he sent the Holy Spirit to regenerate our hearts and to seal our salvation. And he desires for you and I to live according to his holy word, believing that he will give us life abundantly, even in the midst of the suffering and the hardship sometimes of living life that is godly. And lastly, God wants you to deny yourself, to follow him, trusting him above everyone else. He wants you to live out your salvation, to pursue godliness and holiness, to focus on serving him. Would you do so this morning? Would you remember the words of the apostle? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to take a moment as the worship team comes forward to pause to consider what Peter has written and what we have shared. And would you pray? I ask God, how should I respond? What does the Holy Spirit want to do? What am I not remembering? What am I forgetting? Do I have the same urgency? Do I recognize the mortality of my life? Am I pursuing and adding to these things? Is my life marked by an increasingly, uh, increasing quality, quantity of these qualities. I think I got that right. Pursue. Would you take a moment to respond to the Holy Spirit's call? Father, you are so good to us. You have called us and you have chosen us. You have adopted us. You have regenerated us and justified us. Father, even today you are sanctifying us, you are protecting us. And Lord, we look forward to that day that we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. But until that day, Father, let us not forget. Would you burn into our minds, into our hearts, the desire to pursue godliness and holiness. Help us to add to our faith those qualities, Father, that will glorify you and make us like your Son. And Father, let us hold on to those truths. Not only may they be a testimony to our friends and to our loved ones and to those around us, but Father, may we pass those on to others. 
for we desperately need you. And as ambassadors of Christ, Father, we want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Thank you for the words of Peter. Brand them onto our hearts this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.